0: It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Friday, October 15th, 2021. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. Sitka reported no new coronavirus cases on Tuesday and one new case on Wednesday, continuing a trend of declining cases over the last week. Twelve coronavirus cases have been reported in the last seven days, keeping Sitka's COVID alert level high, but closer to being downgraded than it's been in weeks. Sitka's alert level will be downgraded from high to substantial if the seven-day case rate falls below nine cases. Since the start of the pandemic, Sitka has reported 1,152 coronavirus cases, 23 hospitalizations, and five deaths. Hunters in Juneau are pushing back on proposals that could restrict their deer hunting rights in parts of southeast Alaska. The Southeast Alaska Subsistence Regional Advisory Council says its proposals are responding to food security concerns from villages. Coast Alaska's Jacob Resnick reports.
1: Pelican resident Terry Warta testified this month to the Regional Subsistence Council from the tiny hamlet on Chichagoff Island. He says it's been difficult for guys like him to fill his freezer.
2: I don't know. Things have seemed um, to have slowed down around here and <clears throat> All I hear nowadays is a lot of a lot of hunters want to come in here, and it seems like uh, I think uh, the residents in Pelican should have a priority on hunting around
0: here, I'll tell you that much.
1: He was supporting a proposal to restrict hunters from urban areas that hunt along Liziansky Inlet. It was one of a handful that would restrict deer hunting in areas popular with state license hunters from bigger towns. The strongest measure would be an outright closure of the southern portion of Admiralty Island to urban hunters, That'd be to give more opportunity to subsistence hunters living in nearby Angoon. That's where Councilmember Albert Howard lives. He says hunters coming from Juneau have access to cheaper fuel to run their skiffs. And if they need affordable meat, there are supermarkets like Fred Meyer and Costco.
0: If an Angoon resident fails
1: at hunting, I don't know how else to say it, but they're S.O.L. And we're people that don't like to depend on anybody, and I, I, I don't want to go ask anybody for help. These rules would apply to federal lands, much as southeast Alaska is in Tongass National Forest, and federal law gives priority to subsistence hunting for those living outside of the urban areas of Juneau and Ketchikan. Everywhere else in southeast, from Tiny Pelican to larger Sitka and Petersburg, are considered rural. State and federal wildlife agencies opposed added restrictions on non-rural hunters. That's because data shows that deer populations are relatively healthy. Written opposition to the measures was overwhelming, with more than 50 letters coming in against. Territorial Sportsman, a Juneau-based hunting and fishing organization, has lobbied hard against the proposals and encouraged its membership to chime in. Ryan Beeson is the group's president. He told Coast Alaska the restrictions would be divisive.
3: It's a big concern to us that we want, want to promote the rights to all hunters in the southeast and not limit each other. I think what these proposals are doing is creating conflict between user groups and I think we could all come together and and work on this
1: as one. The proposed restrictions on non-rural deer hunters were recommended by the council in amended form. They include urban hunters being allowed to hunt for bucks only, with a reduced bag limit on areas of Chichigoff Island near Huna and Pelican. State tidelands would be exempt, meaning all licensed hunters could still cruise the beaches looking for illegal deer in season. Regional Advisory Council Chair Don Hernandez, who lives on the northern tip of Prince of Wales Island, Told Coast Alaska, the council has been hearing from villagers concerned about the rising costs of fuel and the aging rural populations. There's worry about, you know, the ability of people in these villages to get the food that they require at a at a cost that they can afford. He says he understands the wildlife agency's opposition. After all, on paper, the deer herds are relatively healthy. But he says the regional advisory councils were set up to consider more than population surveys and the number of animals taken. The agencies, they rely on data. And the council, we listen to people. And we hear what, you know, the people's stories are, you know, of their experiences. And we we take that into consideration as well. You might call that, you know, traditional ecological knowledge, but it's basically the, uh, you know, the stories of what people are telling us about what the actual conditions are, you know. So we weigh that more heavily, I think, than the agencies do. Final details of the recommendations approved earlier this month remain unclear, even to some council members and observers, but will be published in coming weeks after the minutes of the multi-day meeting are finalized. But those recommendations are just that, they're not final yet. They'll be forwarded to the Federal Subsistence Board, which in mid-April will consider whether to incorporate these in the federal hunting regulations as early as next fall. If they are adopted. It could limit deer hunting opportunities over large swaths of southeast Alaska that had long been popular with sport hunters from larger towns. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Jacob Resnick.
0: Remember the early days of lockdown in March of 2020 when flour and yeast were sold out across the country? Americans working from home turned to the comfort of baking bread. After a while, the hobby got stale for some. Baking is hard work, a labor of loaf. But as the pandemic continued, not everyone's baking dreams went awry. In the fourth installment of Raven Radio's series on local businesses that emerged and thrived over the last two tumultuous years, KCAW's Tosh Kimmel spoke with Andrew Jilka, who has turned a devotion to dough into a thriving cottage business.
2: American food writer MKF Fisher once wrote that the smell of good bread baking is indescribable in its evocation of innocence and delight. This may seem like high praise for what is essentially the scent of yeast and sugar, but standing in the tangy, sweet aroma of Andrew Jilka's bread, Fisher's words ring true.
3: I've been transient for a lot of my 20s. I lived in a lot of different places, and that was always how I found folks, was either through the food industry or just getting people together for food. And I found that when I, once I started doing the bread, that happened even quicker.
2: When Jilka came to Sitka last year at the height of the pandemic, he had no plan. He'd been working as a field guide in Wrangell for Alaska Crossings, but he needed a change. He didn't know what to expect, but he knew bread and he knew his way around a kitchen.
3: Uh, Renee Trafton over at The Beak hired me at a time when most folks are not hiring in the restaurant industry, so... That's how I got my foot in the door to doing food here in Sitka. And she connected me with a lot of folks. She let me start baking for her and featuring some of my things on the menu. So I was working for her and then also just starting to bake out of my home. And then I would hand loaves to people and go, Hi, I'm Andrew. Here's a loaf of bread. I had a lot of folks come up to me and say, Oh, are you the
2: bread guy? Jilka talks about bread with reverence about the way it's nourished us through the ages. He loves his bread and the people he makes it for, but if you asked him several years ago if he'd be making it professionally, he'd probably say no.
3: My friend gave me a sourdough starter, and I've been a cook all my life, but was a terrible baker. But there was something about the sourdough starter. I really enjoyed it. I started making loaves, They all came out looking like Frisbees.
2: He didn't always have a baker's touch, but Jilka persevered.
3: Oh, it was joyful to get, like, my first loaf that had good, consistent rise on it. It hadn't blown out the side. It didn't have any weird bulges or anything. And, of course, that was then followed by the, how do I recreate this? How do I do it consistently? And I mean, that's been, that's been the journey the whole time. I still feel like I am learning something every single week.
2: When he finally did get that perfect loaf, it didn't take long for people to catch on. Uh,
3: I started getting to the point where I was comfortable giving them to friends and would just drop them off at local businesses around for people to have. I wasn't, I didn't have any intention to like sell bread. I still had another job but a friend who owned a little shop there tricked me into giving her some loaves for a tasting. And then the next day came to me saying something like, I need 20 loaves a week now. And that's how Southeast Dough Company started.
2: Today, Jilka moves methodically around the kitchen on the Sheldon Jackson campus, juggling trays of cranberry orange loaves and English muffins with ease. But as easy as he makes it look, the process is arduous.
3: Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening, I come into the kitchen and I pull my starter, Audrey 2, out of the fridge, feed that starter to however much I need for that week. So I build that starter up, usually to like a couple gallons worth of starter, and then leave her overnight, let her do her do her thing, come in early Monday morning and I start mixing dough, and then... Come back mid-afternoon, start breaking those down to their final loaf sizes, shape them, put them in their tins, and let them rise for a few more hours just like that. Come back in Monday evening, and I start baking. After
2: almost two full days of prepping and baking, Jilka often delivers his bread directly to people's homes, something he says can take upwards of four hours. But for Jilka, it's all part of being Sitka's bread guy.
3: During the pandemic, people really wanted some sort of interaction and something that made them feel cared for. And I think being able to deliver bread directly to folks throughout that achieved that goal. Um, People were often saying that that was like some of their only social interaction that they got, which was really touching.
2: For Jilka, the science of bread is as much about the ratio of flour to starter as it is the intention behind it. Starting a micro bakery in a new city in the middle of lockdown only cemented his commitment to keep community and connection at the forefront of his business.
3: Seeing the looks on people's faces when they would get a fresh, warm loaf of bread. There's something about bread in general that touches people, like, in their heart, not just their stomach.
2: Reporting in Sitka, I'm Tosh Kimmel.
0: I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.